Welcome to the Unleashed and Unlimited podcast. This is episode 15. Welcome, entrepreneurs, executives, experts, and service-based professionals to the Unleashed and Unlimited podcast, where it's all about connecting and collaborating toward a brighter future. Join the movement to take control of the powerful forces that shape the direction of your life and your destiny. We are not the dabblers. We are the doers, the disruptors, the dominators. This is the podcast where we share top-tier systems, strategies, and stories from common leaders taking uncommon action toward becoming free through dominating their field and ultimately unleashed and unlimited in their lives and businesses. Welcome to Unleashed and Unlimited Podcast 15, where your hosts, G.D. Holtzbacher and myself, Brad A. Milford, had the opportunity to interview Cecilia Gorman. She's a veteran of the advertising industry where she spent 20 plus years in production, recruiting, and human resources. It's been her mission to inspire, educate, and motivate people toward their greatest potential. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to this day's edition of Unleashed and Unlimited podcast. And we are so excited today because we have somebody that I was able to connect with in Orlando in March at a leadership conference. And her name is Cecilia Gorman. And even though Cecilia lives on the West Coast and I'm here in a Midwest cornfield, we had to bring her in because she had such vibrant energy and she has learned life lessons from the School of Hard Knocks. So I thought you guys should get to know her and she'd be able to drop some value bombs to you today as well. So welcome, Cecilia. <laughs> Thank you, Cecilia. <laughs> awesome. So tell the people a little bit about who you are and what you do. Okay. Well, again, my name is Cecilia Gorman. I am a consultant out here on the West Coast. I primarily work with what I call creatively minded companies. I was born and bred in the advertising industry. And so I typically go in and will do employee workshops. I'll do one-on-one coaching. I'll do team offsites and and mostly around the area of we have a, a person or a team who's struggling and we want to get them help. So that sometimes shows up in communication, sometimes shows up in leadership, just sometimes shows up as they don't know what to do next. And so oftentimes I'm coming to solve a problem for them. And um, it's what I love to do. And, and thankfully getting to do a lot of it now. So how do you flesh out whether it's a communication versus say a leadership issue? You know, typically when people describe it to me, they're so interconnected that I don't know if I separate them. I, what I like to do is I make a triangle for people and I say there's three points in the triangle and it's all connected up to this big thing we call leadership and it's communication, relationships, and trust. And if you're having any issue with what you call leadership, usually it points back to one of these three corners isn't working. You haven't established the trust with your team or you haven't even gotten to know them. And then as a result, the other piece of the triangle is having issues. So it's, it's usually around those. 
Wow, I love it. Can you draw that for our listeners real quick? (laughs) (laughs) So when you walk in and you, and let's say the issue is trust. How do you help a leader establish trust with their team? What do you think, what, what advice would you give to the people listening out there that are needing to establish trust in addition to calling you? In addition to calling me, excellent. <laughs> well, trust is a funny thing because it's, it's usually wrapped up in respect and people think, well, my team respects me and they think that they've been given this golden ticket to be called leader when in fact their team may trust, they, the team may respect you, but they might not trust you. And so we just have to get into what does lack of trust look like? When, when a team member doesn't fully trust their leader, what kinds of behaviors are showing up? What does um, misuse of that trust look like? What, what do you do to actually proactively and intentionally build trust in the first place? I think what happens is when, when people either get promoted or they get hired into a leadership position, they think that that position lends themselves to all of these attributes that are just a given. They think, well, that means I'm a great relationship person. I'm a great communicator. People trust me. People respect me. And they, they don't actually stop and think, have I earned this? Have I been intentional? So when it comes to trust, it's like, have I intentionally built trusting relationships with people? Have I purposefully thought about who maybe has a shaky level of trust with me or I with them? And then have I done something of it? I don't, I don't know if people are thinking that on a day-to-day basis. They're just coming in and they've got a lot of work to get done and, and they, they start charging forward. So trust is a tricky thing. So most people have not done a training on trust. It's just not something that's taught a lot. So I think fundamentally, I try to just take people back a few steps and say, let's just talk about what does a high trust environment look like? What does a high trust environment sound like? And so they get the feeling of what that is. And then we start working backwards. Well, how is it, how is it looking like and sounding like for you right now? Well, I've got this person, I've got this thing. And, and so we kind of back up a little bit. They can do some introspection on that. When I think of high trust in my, in my environment, in my work world, in, a, in my extracurricular world, I think of things that don't sound sexy and money-making in corporate America, but they are things like vulnerability, things like transparency. And what I find myself is that when that is not occurring, what ends up happening is the conversation that needs to take place gets avoided. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The number one workshop that I'm brought in for is one that I call the art of tough conversations. And it's because my clients will say, nobody's, nobody's talking to anyone. Nobody is having that conversation they need to because they haven't been taught how. They're just, you go lead people and get the work done when in fact, how do you, how do you be vulnerable? How do you have candor and grace at the same time? Like, I don't know if we've equipped people to do that. And yet we expect them to have extremely difficult conversations that'll solve problems that'll move the business forward. But we, again, we just got to back up and say, fundamentally, do you know how to be vulnerable? (laughs) Do you know how to be in relationship with someone where you care so much about them that you need to tell them what's not working in their favor in order to to get them to move forward? I love this. Sorry, Jeannie. I love this conversation. One of the biggest challenges I've had throughout my career and even in what I do now is teaching people collaboration because I think um, the word is used as a buzzword today, but I don't, I don't see a whole lot of people who have seen synergistic teams and seen true collaboration, especially with entrepreneurs. Yeah. I think uh, they're prone to be more 
solopreneurs than they are working in a collaborative group, one that's really raising one another up. So I love this conversation. Yeah, this yeah. Well, the thing about collaboration is we've got to think about the, like the wholeness of it. And then part of that wholeness is it's tough and it's sticky and it's uncomfortable. People just want the good part of collaboration. They don't, they don't realize that there's a whole, there's a whole cycle to it. If we don't teach you how to get through the discomfort, which is what Brene Brown's um, dare to lead book. She talks about, you got to be willing to rumble in order to get through that vulnerability, to get through that tough patch. I don't know if we're willing to rumble. We just want the glory that comes with great collaboration. Forget the tough part. You're absolutely right that we want to avoid that. And what I find too is because of that and because we're not training people, what you're talking about, Cecilia, I just got off a call and they're asking me to go to Austin, Texas to work with some physicians over this very issue over and over and over again in communication and being walking them through the uncomfortable pieces so that we can get to the quality end result. And what I find is because we aren't training and equipping leaders, they go one of two ways. They're either so soft that you feel like it's a country club and we're all singing kumbaya and holding hands and everybody's best friends, but nothing's getting done and there's no accountability or they are saying, I'm not going to be like the country club. I'm putting my fist down and they're so harsh that they scare everybody to death and they have this bully mode. It's either fight or flight, you know? It's either silence or violence. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to steal that if you don't mind. (laughs) Go for it. Absolutely. There's enough to go around. (laughs) Honestly, I think that's why I'm always about, let's just back it up a step. I always go back to the fundamentals and it's not, we can't expect people to be good communicators to to, to face challenges in the workplace if we haven't shown them how. Either they don't have role models that are doing it right now. They look up the leadership and they're like, well, they're not being candid. They're not being direct and open and, and transparent yeah. and authentic. And also, so they're not, they're not seeing the vision of it. But then no one ever showed them what that looks like and, and gave them the tools to be able to do it. Um, and that's why there's a soft spot in my heart for new managers, God love them, because they get handed a business card and a team and they're like, there you go. Good luck with that. And, and, and no one helps them with anything. And no wonder they're ill-equipped at five years or 15 years in. Yeah. And, and not only that, but when I, when I see sometimes too, realistically speaking, if, if it can become a safe environment, often we can pinpoint down to one or two things that are the real issue that are really not that difficult to fix. Sometimes it's even one individual that is making life difficult for everybody else, but everybody's doing a dance around it because of X, Y, Z perception. And I don't, I'm, I'm, I don't even care if that individual is a high performer. If they are causing the culture to remain toxic, then holding on to them, in my opinion, is going for short-term funds rather than long-term financial gain. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, let's talk about the X. Talk about no, I'm it. Ki- I'm kidding. No, oh. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to throw that out there and see how people reacted. <laughs> well, there is There's lots of wiles and shocks. So. Exactly. There's something to be said about this idea of you mentioned having a safe environment. Have we, have we curated or and cultivated a, a, a workplace where people feel safe, safe to make mistakes, safe to take a risk. 
safe to like test the waters of their leadership. I don't know if we have. And, and so people have to be able to, to make, make, make mistakes on their way to being stronger leaders without being reprimanded. And I don't know if, if we're actually actively doing that in our workplaces. So no wonder we have problems when it comes to senior and executive leaders. And, and some of it might be the, their fault, but a lot of it, I just don't think we're being intentional about cultivating the right environment for them. I love that. Cultivating the right environment. Yeah. That's really, that really is what it's about. Cultiv yeah. Well, absolutely. That's actually my favorite word because um, I speak a lot to HR directors. Obviously they're the primary group that hires me. And I, I like using that word with them because it puts a picture in their head of there's work to be done. That's continual, right? You put the seed in the ground. You don't just walk away right? You, you've got to make sure it's got water. You, you've got to purposely put some fertilizer on it. You've got to trim it and prune it. So it grows. Like you have to be in it with them. If you want a better result, if you want to put the seed in the ground, walk away in three years and then wonder why you've got a problem in your hands. Well, shame on you. So cultivating is uh, put some of the ownership back on the existing leaders in the organization to, to raise up their next generation properly. Mm -hmm. Love it. I'm always taking, uh, when I talk to stories of, of that sort, I'm always taking to the Chinese bamboo tree that takes years of cultivation and people, people from afar may think that the person is crazy watering and taking care of something that doesn't appear to be there. Yeah. <laughs> and there's that appearance because I think, I think as leaders, sometimes that is what we're doing that we're focused on something very intentionally and we're cultivating something, but not everybody sees it at first we're equipped to see what people can become yeah. and then after some time those results start to show and the tree begins to grow and yeah absolutely. i love that analogy for them can we back up for just a minute Jeannie, is that okay with you back up yeah. I, you have an amazing um you have an amazing path can we talk about your path a little bit and, and yeah let the listeners know what some of the things you yeah do? My path started when my dad hung a, a four by eight piece of drywall in my room in the seventh grade. And uh, it became like a, like a, a canvas, like a pinboard to me. And one of the things I pinned up there were leadership quotes. And I just, I tore them out of books or I, or I drew them on a piece of paper and I would stare at them for hours. And I became a lover of quotes and of poetry and of, of this thing that was pulling me towards this other thing that I couldn't name when I was young. Like, I didn't know it was like creativity. I didn't know it was leadership. I didn't know what it was. I just knew there was something out there. And so my, my career path has been one of just following my gut along the way. I was very fortunate to get a job in the, the printing industry right out of college. I was a receptionist and, and it was the best job of my life. I, I was suddenly in this creative environment working for a couple that, that mentored me and taught me and really showed me everything there was to know about being in printing and running a printing business. And then my, my second job was in an ad agency. And once I got into the creative environment of an ad agency, I was like, Oh, this is, this is my jam. This is my people. It's, uh, it's frenetic. It's fun. It's passion. It's creative, um, high, high volume work. And I spent the rest of my career working in advertising out here in Orange County. So different agencies, um, doing things in and around the creative department always. And 
all uh, what aligned me and pulled me the whole time was this love of leadership and trying to speak into people's potential, trying to help them when they got stuck in their career, trying to get out and speak to other people about their possibility and their potential. But it was always like a side jam for me. It was never, it was never my actual job or my profession. It was just something I did on the side. And so ultimately, if you fast forward a good 20 years of that, um, I stumbled upon the John Maxwell team. I I got certified as a speaker and my, my heart just went, Oh, you can do this now. And so um, it gave me just the, the confidence to understand I could spend all day, every day building up people versus just a little bit of my day doing that. And so I left my full-time job and I, I went out on my own um, to do training and coaching full-time. And so here we are, it's been um, three and a half years later. Excellent. What would you say to somebody else that is getting ready to branch out on their own that you wish you knew that you know now? <laughs> I call myself like the ignorant passionate. Like I, I, I wanted to do this so bad. I was so ignorant when I went out on my own, own of what it took. I, I underestimated the hustle. I just thought my phone would ring and people would call me and I would just go in and do what I love. And then when I got to my kitchen table with my laptop for eight to 10 hours a day, I, I underestimated the, the isolation and the loneliness and the, just the hustle, the hustle that was required. So anyone who's thinking of it, I'd like them to think long and hard of, not that are you gonna do it or not, because you've probably already decided that, but how you're gonna deal with some of those things, how you're gonna deal with when you feel isolated, how you're gonna deal with when you're exhausted from the hustle and you're not seeing any results. So really just thinking through those contingency plans to help you through the, the hurdles when you get to them. I, I spent like a whole year stuck, stuck on some of my hurdles. Like, it was, it was pretty painful. Um, but then when the kids come home from school at three o'clock and I get to see them more than I've seen them their whole entire life, it makes it all worth it. But it, um, it, it was tough for me. So some pre-thinking of those contingency plans would be my, my first set of advice. The second thing is to save money. Do not go out on your own without having some kind of cushion because your your scarcity mindset, your 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 money stress will overtake every business decision that you have to make to build a good business. And if you're worried about where your money is going to come from to pay your bills, it's gonna it's gonna drastically hinder you. So, it cut your cable, cut your maid, cut your haircuts, cut your manicures, generic food, like cut your organic, cut your stuff and save your money. If you're serious about this, you got to start hoarding your acorns. I so love that. Yeah. I, I mean, I hear so much, I talk about foundations. So you're talking about fundamentals. So I talk about foundation. They're very intertwined. Yeah. Um, but that's what I hear. And what you're saying is you understand your foundations, your principles. That's where you're going to stand when things get tough. I love yeah. that. Love that. Back to you, Jeannie. So then let's say that I'm somebody that's going to go out on my own. So I'm going to have, I think, I think I've lost the naivety that there's not going to be hustle. I think hustle is a reality that there's no getting around. I think fear is a reality that I have to expect that's going to show up. And I just say, Oh, thanks for showing up. Not a lot to hold me back. Yeah. Uh, but um, when you talk about the people that are out there that want to, because I see so many people wanting to launch 
free and wanting to do their own thing, yet I, I, are they looking, because you were talking about collaboration earlier, and you're saying people want all the benefits of the collaboration, but they don't want to have the crucial conversations that get to true, mature collaboration. Is it the same with entrepreneurship? Are people looking for the benefits of entrepreneurship without recognizing the hard days and nights? Well, I, so for me, I'm going to say absolutely. And I, I bring it back to I was just naive. I had never owned a business before. And so I... I was so on fire about where I was going. I didn't stop to think, and what else does this decision come with? Right. If people have owned businesses before, you, you kind of know what, what the deal is. But for anyone who's never done it before, I just think it was, I just didn't think that through. And even if I would have at the time, I probably wasn't entrepreneurially mature enough to really think it through. I would have been, oh, yeah, it's going to be hard. Sure, sure, sure. And then I still would have, right? But in hindsight, where you're always smarter, it, it, um, the ratio is just not what you think it's going to be. You think, I've got this passion, this thing I love, and, and I'm going to go out on my own. I'm sorry. And I'm going to do it like 90% of the time. And then 10% of the time is just running the business and making it work. When actually the ratio is so much shifted. I get to do what I love 30% of the time. And then 70% of the time I'm out there. I'm, I'm marketing myself. I'm doing talks. I'm, I'm hustling on the back end of my business. I mean, 70% of the time I'm just keeping the engine going and trying to get fuel in the tank. And then 30% of the time I get to go out and do what I love. So it's just a, an exception of that reality. Um, but but you you don't necessarily know that when before you've stepped into it and and of course there's there's fear um, that that's going to hold anybody back but I I would like to think that and it, it, here's actually what I did to make when I was running up against fear should I quit this job or not and I had a very nice job with a very nice income free benefits kids gearing up to go to college every reason, single mom all the reasons why a person should not quit their job and I said to myself. Cecilia, if you get diagnosed with a terminal disease six months from now or a year from now, you are going to be so pissed at yourself. You're going to be so angry that you didn't make this turn and, and do this next chapter of your life and do what you know you were meant to do. You're going to be so angry. So I, it actually took this little dose of morbidity for me to go like, is this the life I want to be leading? And, and once I said, no, it's not, that was a very e easy decision to make. And I said, you know what? I can sell my condo. I can, um, I could get a roommate. I could move in with my parents if I had to, I could eat top ramen. I had all these contingency plans that would allow me to live my dream that were going to be better than having uh, a regret. And, and that's what honestly helped me through the fear. I work every day with Well, and I don't work directly with them anymore but I work with the people who work with the people in hospice who are passing away. And um, they, there's a lot of truth whispered on the deathbed in somebody's final chapter or paragraph of life. And when I, what I see as regret the most, or what I did in my career when I was actively at the bedside, was one, so many people died without anybody knowing their whole story. Not one person on the planet knew them in their entirety. Mm. And two, so many people passed away having regretted not taking more calculated risks. Nobody ever said to me, 
I am so glad I played it safe. <laughs> Not the truth. Nobody ever once said that. And you know what else? The people who had what I call, there is such a thing as a good death. And the people who had what I call a good death were consistently individuals that were surrounded, they had joy and they were consistently individuals surrounded by the people they loved the most that were sharing it with them. And I thought to myself, if that's such a great way to die, might it not be a pretty good way to live? <laughs> yeah, yeah, isn't that true? Isn't that true? And I did, I honestly had to just let go of, of the idea of money or my, my identity with money is really what it came down to, is that I just had to detach from where I felt I had gotten to and, and you know, this is what I'd gotten versus I'm going to be just as happy with my kids if I'm whipping up top ramen tonight than I am if I'm using like full priced organic natural wheat spaghetti. I mean, like, honestly, at the end of the day, does it really matter? And so I could, I could imagine cutting all the things back that I needed to do and all the contingent pl contingency plans I could line up to be able to say yes to this, to this dream. I love that. Can we talk about that just for a moment? So that's a mindset, a money mindset thing that I'm fascinated with. Um, I, I detach easily from things, actually, as well as people. <laughs> I, I do. I'll just fully admit it. Um, when people don't resonate with me, I move on. I do that freely. Not everybody has the same. That's a skill for me that I've learned throughout my life because of some of the things I've been through. But I'd love to talk about that in terms of money because I think that is so important for entrepreneurs, experts, service-based professionals of any kind. How, how did you – move through some of that from when you started to now what how, where was it and where is it now could you speak into that for a moment yeah i mean i i and initially what i did is i said if i removed everything from my life that i don't need i don't need to save for my 401k i don't need to save anymore for college i don't i don't need the house cleaned anymore i don't need to get my hair professionally done i don't need nails like if i took everything i don't need out what do i need what, what money amount do I, do I have to have just to keep the lights on? And so I took this thing that I thought I needed all the way down to just in reality. And then when I looked at that nugget, I thought I could sell something of that amount. I, I think someone would pay me that amount. So first it was just getting a reality around um, if I stripped away all the unnecessary and just got to what it cost to be alive and to keep my kids fed, then so that was the start, chunking it down and seeing, okay, now, now it's a more manageable number. If I said first year, I'm going to hit the, the uh, salary I had going in, I think I would have been highly disappointed. But when I brought it down to this is exactly what I need, it was like, okay. And then the struggle that has like this, this dragon of money fears that raises its head, you know, every six months or so when you're an entrepreneur of, of being nervous about where money's coming from, or you didn't sell something and where's your paycheck going to come from. I try to make it less about what's happening today versus what's going to happen this quarter or this year because right. there's short-term fixes. I could, I could pull from my credit line. I could borrow from my parents. Like you can find money when you need it. So in order to keep me not from being nervous about this month, I didn't sell anything. This month revenue was zero in order to not get in a headspace where that was going to detrimentally pull me down into a spiral. I just, I just laddered it up and I went, okay, this quarter, great. Well, last month you had this next month, we've got that stuff brewing. And on a quarterly basis, we're, we're good. 
And then if you annualize it, you know what? I'm still doing pretty good. So it was, it was trying to get out of just little micro spirals that, that had the um, potential to drag me down to into a place where worry took over my decisions of what I was going to do next. So I kind of play like a mental game with myself and, and, and that seems to help me. And, and then just a never ending faith in I've, I, I've got this, like, I'm good. I'm good. People, people are going to pay me. People are going to pay me because I'm good and I've got this. So whether that was a delusion or, but it's, it's a faith I need to move myself forward that people are going to know about me. It's just a matter of time. And then the money's going to come. So it's just believing in my future self to get me out of the momentary worry. I love it. I love it. I, I often talk about four levels of belief, like depths almost, right? And confidence too. So self-esteem is just on the very lowest level. Yeah. It wavers from day to day, from hour to hour, sometimes from minute to minute as we're entrepreneurs, right? Then there's, and their self-image, which is a little deeper, it involves what we've seen and observed from other people and what they've told us, and plus what we know of ourselves. Yeah. And then self-regard, which is actually more of a, an aggregate of who we are when we move from, from that place. There's also knowing. So I've come to a place of knowing exactly where I want to go, exactly where I need to be, what my strengths are, that kind of thing. I think when we maneuver from that space, that's pretty amazing. So I love hearing what you're saying. Absolutely. Who's your ideal client to the listeners if they want to connect with you? Gosh, yeah. Ideal client, I, I, like I say, I typically work with creatively minded companies. So I, I, I call that people who work, who, who create or ideate or innovate as part of their job. So that's the Oakleys of the world. That's the ad agencies. That's I have an architectural firm. Um, sure, I could go into a bank, but I always say my jokes are funnier when I'm around creative people. So I, I, I gravitate towards that arena. Any, anybody who's got a struggle on their team that, that points back to under or ill-equipped managers. And so Love sometimes it. that's, I, we need fundamental manager training because our new managers didn't get anything. The folks that are one to, to, to four years in, we didn't give them any training. Now they're struggling. Or I've got someone who's risen up in the ranks and they just, they aren't leading productively and we need to get them and their team some help. So we've just kind of narrowed it down to um, it really just um, revolves around managers. And how would people get in touch with you? Because I know there's going to be an influx of people. <laughs> that to touch with you, right? so how, how would they reach you? Um, my company is called Creative Talent Partners with an S. So creativetalentpartners.com uh, or um, always on LinkedIn, Cecilia Gorman on LinkedIn or just Google me. I'll, I'll pop up. Awesome. It was amazing to have you on. It's always amazing having Jeannie. It's great to have a conversation with you both. Great to have you on as well as our special guest. You are amazing. You are brilliant, my friend. Yes, Unleashed and unlimited. You've been listening to the Unleashed and Unlimited podcast for entrepreneurs, experts, and service-based professionals. With gratitude, we thank you for listening. We invite you to subscribe, rate, and review it. And also, stay tuned for more. Thanks for joining us.